The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, planning, big topic. Let's get started. So look deep inside your soul and your company's soul and answer the following question. How healthy is your planning and budgeting process? I know that's a loaded question. Let's do a reality check. If you're still stubbornly following what I call an heirloom Excel spreadsheet recipe and your main ingredients are gut feeling, wishful thinking, short-term MBOs, and you're just cooking it up, I'm going to bet your CFO is hungering for more substance and maybe not too happy about the outcome you're putting on the table. Today, we have end-user-focused tech tools available mainstream. And guess what? That means you have no excuse to not use modern technology in your planning and budgeting. It's there. Use it. So what are you waiting for? It is time to start basing your planning decision-making on realistic future insights instead of good old wishful thinking. I have a panel of experts who are going to help us figure out how to get you from point A to point B today. So listen up. Let's get this started. First up on the panel is a return guest. Always glad to have him on board. Steve Player is Program Director of the North America Region of Beyond Budgeting. And Steve sent me a military quote from Navy Admiral William H. McRaven. I read the following quote. If you want to change the world, Find someone to help you paddle the boat. And I want to say, damn it. Welcome back, Steve Player. How are you today? Great, Bonnie. How are you? Wonderful. Nice to hear your voice again. So talk to me. Interesting quote from McRaven. How does this quote relate to our topic of planning and budgeting? And uh, get, let's get us started. Well, McRaven is the, uh, the, Navy, the uh, Navy Admiral in the news quite a bit, most likely. I heard that quote when he spoke it live at my oldest son's graduation at the University of Texas. He graduated from law school back in May, and McRaven was the keynote address. And that was probably one of the best keynote address I'll hear in my lifetime. So I urge everybody to go to YouTube and look it up. He's got some great points. McRaven was the leader of the Navy SEAL team that uh, captured Osama, that uh, killed Osama bin Laden. Uh, it's just a wonderful story. He's also now the chancellor-elect of the, uh, of the University of Texas. Texas system. So the great guy who's really changed the world. And I thought of that quote as I thought about what we try to do in terms of changing the way people plan and control by getting rid of a lot of old baggage and moving forward. So I thought it was an ideal quote. And particularly one of the points from McRaven emphasized was 10, 10 rules to live by. And one was if you're going to change the world, you've got to get somebody to help you paddle the boat. So I'm happy to have SAP Game Changer help paddle the boat to spread the word of how we can change the world by getting rid of a lot of that old planning baggage that we've been carrying around and moving to, to a much better approach. 
Thank you very much, Steve. Always, always great quotes from you, great insights, and good start to our topic. Let's turn to our second panelist today. It's Paul Davis, Service Line Director for EPM Enterprise Performance Management Solutions at NTT Data America. And Paul has sent me a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. Here's the quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Interesting quote. Paul Davis, welcome. How are you today? Thank you, buddy. I'm doing excellent. Good. Glad to hear it. So talk to me. How come you picked this quote and relate it to our topic, please? Well, the quote has become real personal for me. Uh, it's, uh, it's become effective within my family. I have three young children, kind of in the upper elementary, middle school uh, age range, and it's become effective for our family in that uh, it's something we've shared with our children about stepping out, being bold in life, uh, growing into who they are as people and really experiencing life. So uh, it's personal for me, and and it relates to our topic in that really we find that the finance organizations, the people doing the plans these days are often the last adopters of technologies such as big data and predictive. Uh, And and so they're not being bold and stepping out in these new arenas. They're holding on, as as you mentioned, to uh, antiquated or heirloom processes and technologies. Uh, And it's really those who are making the leap and, and jumping into some of these new technologies and the process associated uh, that are finding significant gains and, and benefits to their organization. Uh, so to me, that really encompasses what Teddy Roosevelt was speaking. So who is in the – is the arena the same as the hot seat, Paul? Is that what we're it talking really about? It really is. Yeah, the, the spotlight is on you. No one has got your back. You're out there. It's you, your persona, your voice that is speaking, and it's you know, the critics are in the dark, right? The critics, no one sees the critics because they're in the dark or they're a disembodied voice. But you who are in the arena are the one who's out in front of everyone. And uh, you're going to get the credit. You're going to get the glory because you've made the boldness to step forward. Okay, very interesting. Sounds like a lonely place to be, and that's why we're here today talking about our topic of planning and budgeting process, innovation and renovation, because I think we want people to not be quite so lonely there in the center of the arena. Would you agree on that? Oh, for certain, for certain. We're bringing okay. some more folks into the fold. We're, we're, we're excited. We, we've got the tools. We've got the message. And, and I think we've got the business case for it. Good. Thank you so much, Paul. Good intro. And last but not least, let's turn to our third panelist today. It's Praz Chatterjee. He's an SAP Director of Product Marketing for Enterprise Performance Management, specializing in planning solutions. That's why he's here on the show. And Praz has sent me a marvelous quote, very short and sweet, six words from none other than Pablo Picasso. And this may be Picasso's first time on SAP Radio. And the quote is, everything you can imagine is real. Welcome, Praz. How are you today? Not too bad at all. How are you, Bonnie? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Let's talk about how this relates to our planning topic. Go ahead, Praz. Absolutely. Well, you know, when we think of Picasso, we think of an innovator in terms of art, um, you know, in the earlier part of the last century and such. And, uh, you know, effectively with this comment that everything you can imagine is real, it's really where we are right now in today's day and age. Uh, there's nothing, you know, to stop us from achieving what our goals are, what our minds put us to and such. And effectively with that, uh, you know, when I think about the finance department that, you know, the audience we're catering to with this call, 
you know, they're at a point where they need to be a leader and a steward in the organization in terms of really defining where, you know, the direction of the company is in terms of navigating them through safe waters and whatnot. And really, there's no roadblocks for them. Uh, in the past, there was roadblocks with regards to data, with regards to technology, with regards to processing times and such. But with the way technology is taking them in this day and age, uh, they can effectively go any which way they want, and they have to start thinking outside the box in terms of what they want and how they can achieve that. Thank you, Pras. I want to ask you, when you say everything you can imagine is real, you have to have the right people doing the imagining, don't you? The, the person, as Paul Davis uh, gave us in the Teddy Roosevelt quote, the person in the arena who is imagining it. So we need the right people in the right spot in the right center of the arena. Would you agree with that? Definitely. I mean, I think one of the things we'll talk about later on the call is how we need people to start thinking forwards in terms of instead of backwards. And I'm sure Paul and the team here would agree with that. And it's something we can discuss. Steve Player, I want to get you in on a comment. Uh, any comments on what Praz and Paul have talked about before we go to what's in your cup today? Just interested because uh, we started with you and a lot has transpired. So talk to me for a second, Steve. What's interesting between the two quotes, the, the Roosevelt quote, you envision a guy in a bull arena or you envision a guy in the middle of a fight, uh, you know, the guy that's really engaged in active combat. You know, I, I juxtapose that with Pablo Picasso, who, you know, started out almost as a realist and as a painter evolved to one of, of fantastical things that were, you know, well beyond anybody else's imagination. So the, the juxtaposition of those two quotes is really, really poignant. Good. I like poignant, too. Okay. And, Paul Davis, any comments on what's transpired since you spoke? And then we're going to go to what's in your cup. Talk to me, Paul. You know, I, I find uh, the, the similarities or, or the layers of uh, the, how the quotes line up uh, from Steve's talking about working together, and yet at the same time, it's, it's those who are bold and alone. Uh, this togetherness and aloneness, it sounds like a complete contradiction. Uh, but I think as we get into the discussion, we'll, we'll see that uh, – that there really is some some truth to both uh, quotes, uh, and and really framed by by Prada's perspective of of the forward thinking, the the art of the possible. Uh, so I'm excited to see how we can all weave these together. Good. We're going to do some weaving, but first we're going to take a coffee break because this show, Financial Excellence with Game Changers, is part of our flagship series titled Coffee Break with Game Changers. So let's circle back to Steve Player at Beyond Budgeting. Steve, what's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking? Give me something wonderful and dramatic and deep. Well, Go this ahead. is one of those rare days I'm actually back in my office working, but I'm, I'm actually finishing off the last little bit of a, a pound of Vietnamese coffee that I picked up when I was in Vietnam about a month and a half ago. And I'm drinking it in celebration of my oldest son, who just graduated from law school, and and the, embarks today on a on a uh, about a three week trip to Southeast Asia, Hong Kong, Cambodia, Laos, and finishing up in Vietnam. So uh, he's headed over there, and I told him, "Son, I'm out of coffee. Be sure and pick me up another another couple of pounds while you're over there." I want to say congratulations to you on your son's law school graduation. That's great. What kind of law does he want to go into, Steve? He's, he's headed for corporate. He starts on September the 2nd. Dad's very happy that I'll have one off the payroll at least. I'm glad. I have I have a, a lawyer son as well, and I know the drill. I know the journey. And, yes, corporate also. Very interesting. You and I have a talk off air sometime about that. Paul Davis, what's in your cup? What are you drinking? Well, Bonnie, science is in my cup this morning. About a couple months ago, I started reading on how to really brew the perfect cup of coffee, and I got really interested in it and, and did a lot of research and follow-up on it. So I, I learned a lot about the science and, and, more specifically, the chemistry of what goes into brewing a perfect cup of coffee. Uh, so I have a nice Lavazza coffee where, you know, you're focused on the two elements that go into the coffee, the beans and the, and the water. 
Uh, and with the beans, it's all about the grind and the freshness of the grind and, and the fineness of the grind that goes into that. Uh, and associated with that is the water and making sure you have the water the right water temperature, uh, mm-hmm. the right dispersion of the water pouring over it, and how that all brings together the chemistry so that the water is at the, not quite boiling but not too cold like so many of our, our equipment uh, are producing to really get the most robust flavor out of that bean. So um, I'm relishing the fact that I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, quality coffee at my home as opposed to it paying for it at a, at a you know, local merchant. But uh, I'll tell you, I'd be uh, really curious to try to try some of uh steve's vietnamese coffee there with the with the high-end process that i'm working now so maybe his son can bring back back an extra pound or so <laughs> we'll have to get together again it's funny i'm just a, a brief aside my my daughter just got married this weekend in Asheville, north carolina and i went down midweek to spend some time with her and her fiance before the wedding and lo and behold she has a breville i think it's a i don't know if it's an australian machine b-r-e-v-i-l-l-e and it's an espresso maker and she made us the most magnificent cup of latte i have ever had and she like you, Paul, is into the water temperature and the pressure and how fresh the beans are. And she has one of those food saver machines with a device, an attachment that will suck the air out of the bag the beans are in or out of a jar and keeps the beans. She's aware of how many days old the beans are. And I got to tell you, science meets coffee. It was marvelous. So I'm with you, Paul. Now I'm going to have to get one. And Pras Chatterjee, let's get you into this conversation. Coffee break. What's in your cup today? Well, unfortunately, I'm actually not drinking any coffee, but I am drinking a beautiful cup of tea. Now, my story on the cup of tea is the fact that um, I'm a bit of a tea snob, and I buy my tea from Mariage Fair in Paris, and I'm a big fan of their French breakfast tea, which has hints of chocolate. But today I'm having some Lapsang Sochong, which is really you know, tea leaves that are burnt and smoked before they're, uh, you, know, you brew them, and you know, gives a nice smoky and barbecue flavor, which I figure is great for a hot topic such as today's. <laughs> I love it. Very well done. Guess what? Our hot topic today is predictive planning, fiction or reality. We're going to see. I think it's leaning toward the reality side. My special guests today are Steve Player at Beyond Budgeting, Paul Davis at NTT Data America, Pras Chatterjee at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a brief break around 90 seconds. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with our nonstop 30-minute roundtable. I'm going to ask my panelists to put their seatbelts on because we're in for a very interesting interesting ride and again our topic is predictive planning fiction or reality we'll be right back after the break don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial you know the drill brad out we're always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network the time for enterprise mobility is now according to idc by 2013 over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology comprising 34.9 percent of the workforce the impact of mobility on business is clear Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Welcome, and that's our goal, is to help you and your finance team achieve financial excellence. That's what we're all about. Our topic today, predictive planning, fiction or reality. Let's kick off the roundtable. It's a little bit of a marathon. We've got about 30 minutes nonstop here. We're going to start the festivities with Steve Player at Beyond Budgeting. And Steve sent me the following information that I think is a good place to kick off. He says, Play, well, here's his advice. Plan more proactively and eliminate archaic approaches such as annual budgeting. And in parentheses, he says, roll down the window, dial the phone. Steve Player, let's get started. Go ahead, please. Thanks, Bonnie. Uh, I even noticed when, when we were preparing for this and I saw the promo go out, it talked about planning and budgeting and planning and budgeting. It's almost the end budgeting is the tagline. It's like a ball and chain we keep carrying around. It's like, you know, you're walking around with your bowling ball with you everywhere you go. And to me, that's what budgeting for most finance organizations is. It is an archaic uh, way to approach the business, but we don't know how to let it down. We don't know how to let go of it. It's, it we're not using the new technology because we don't know how to let go of the old. We have to do the annual plan. We have to do the death march. We have to have the big spike in work. And even though we hate it as well as the people we impose it upon, we feel it's our obligation to do it. And it doesn't, it doesn't click in the fact that there's a new reality. There's ways to plan more proactively. There's ways to get off, off looking at the, you know, things from the past. You know, if you look at finance as a whole, we're rooted in the historical cost concept. That in my seminars, when I talk, I talk about worst finance position on the ship of their business. Well, we're usually standing at the back of the boat, and we're spending most of their time looking at the past, reporting about the past, and we're yelling over our shoulder at the captain. We seem to be going about this fast that we may be turning. And it doesn't matter how much technology you have. If you're stuck on the back of the boat looking backwards, you just cannot add a lot of value to the business. And so what we've got to do is learn to let go of those things in the past and start moving forward. We've got to learn how to turn around and start looking ahead and become much more proactive. And when we do that, we'll begin to question, do we need to budget at all? And the answer increasingly is more companies are finding, no, we have better ways to plan, better ways to control it. We'll think about what we're trying to do. The technology today enables to do it far more proactively than we We've ever done it before more effectively. And the reason we can't is because we just don't have time. Why don't we have time? Because we're dragging the bowling ball around. We're dragging that annual budget around and that old process and explaining why what we thought was going to happen in the middle of the previous summer didn't happen. Well, this, once you've explained that once, why do you keep doing it every month after month after month? You do because you're stuck in the rut. You're stuck in the old process, the old way of budgeting. And that's what we've got to move away from. We, we can't adopt the new technology till we let go of the old and drop the end budgeting. We need to find more ways to plan proactively and drop the budget part because there's better ways to do it. Steve, whose fault is it? Who's the one who's sticking with the old archaic method? Who's insisting? Who's saying, damn it, we've always done it this way. It ain't really too broke. We have." Who is it? Who, whose fault is I can't, it? 
I can't point any fingers to anybody other than the finance people. Okay. <laughs> okay. We, we own it. We, we're in charge of it. We're, we, you know, finance says we have to do it, and the question is why. We're trying to find better ways to plan and control. Why do we have to keep doing it the old way? Why do we have to go through multiple rounds of iteration, back and forth negotiation? Why do what the fields submit up, we have to reject and send back is not good enough. And third or fourth time it comes up, the, the, the field says, why don't you just tell me what you want the number to be? I'm tired of guessing. Corporate looks down and says, I can't tell you what the number is. It needs to be your number. Field looks back up at the corporate and says, hey, it ain't my number. It's quit being my number three times ago. It's your number now. So all this back and forth <laughs> guessing in terms of trying to, to guess what a plan should be and all the gaming, and everybody's really working on what Jack Welch calls an venerating exercise of minimalization. We're trying to negotiate that lowest point that allows us to maximize bonus, but if we add it up, it gives us enough stuff, and it's, it's just a dumb way of doing things. So finance has to take the lead and saying there are better ways to plan and control, and we can take the lead in, in moving forward with that. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate your passion. Hender Schliebs is joining us as our tweeter extraordinaire today, and he's, he said passionate about this. He even used a hashtag to describe you, Steve Player. So there you go. You're passionate. Paul Davis, let's hear some passion from you. Thoughts on what Steve has been talking about and, and the, the blame pointing to the self, to the finance team for sticking with the archaic methods. What are your thoughts? Yeah, buddy. I, I'm, in my role, I'm really a guy on the ground, right? Um, managing and implementing and, and architecting, really designing what these processes are going to be for a lot of organizations. Uh, and so what I see is, yes, there's certainly a resistance on the finance side uh, to move away from the archaic tool sets and the, the single uh, annual budgeting process. But in the cases where uh, I'm able to go and convince uh, a, a controller or a vice president of finance, a CFO, that, you know what, we need to move to a rolling forecast. And, and there's not an instance where I'm not going in and saying we need to move beyond this, we need to go and implement a rolling forecast solution or an event-based forecasting solution. In those instances where I am finding a receptive audience, sometimes I'm getting pushback uh, from even the C-level or the board. There's an expectation that, no, this is what we do. We don't want to get more people involved. It's going to take too much time, too much energy, too much resource. And mm-hmm. the C-level is where the, the, the buck is stopping, and, and they don't want to change the way things have been done in the past. So, um, And conversely, at the bottom level, right, when you, when you try and incorporate, you know what, we're going to do this more frequently. Uh, the folks at the bottom, the, the, the people who are building the budget from a business analyst or a financial analyst perspective, they're terrified that that means more work for them. And I think Steve has done a great job of evangelizing that, no, this is actually going to be less work for you, uh, but it's getting that message to sink in and, and kind of the, the show me that the tools and the processes will make their life easier instead of more work on a regular basis. Good, good point. So it's a forward view that says it's worth the effort to ramp up and get new and get innovation, get the tools because it's going to make it uh, an easier load going forward, and you can do a better job. What's wrong with that? Praz Chatterjee at SAP, I know you have some thoughts on this. Go ahead. Absolutely. Well, I agree with both gentlemen, but I'm going to absolve finance of a little bit of the blame. Uh, <laughs> coming from a, my finance background myself, just as Stephen Paul, um, I studied accounting in school, and after that, my first job was with, you know, performing budgeting and forecasting for a major uh, North American corporation. And I can tell you that from what I studied in school, it was all about looking at yesterday's data, uh, looking at balance sheets, you know, from a point in time that was yesterday, looking at income statement results over a period of time, but never really looking ahead. And that conditioning through school and through my accounting designation brought me into my first job, my second finance job, my third finance job, 
And ultimately, um, it was myself as well as everybody I worked with that was caught up in this trap of really just looking at yesterday's number and not really working to guide you know, the organization through rough waters in terms of you know, where things might be in terms of financial uh, hazards and operational hazards that you know, we as finance or, uh, uh, folks should be able to predict. So I think it's part of the conditioning and training that we've received. But again, that absolves finance maybe of some of the blame, but not all the blame, because it is time for finance to change. Steve Player, thoughts on uh, taking a little bit of the blame off the plate of finance? What are your thoughts? Well, if you want to, if you want to assign it to the finance academicians, yeah, you put it at the university because we're still teaching dumb stuff. Uh, but we've got to, <laughs> we've got to step out and lead and and move forward with the thing. Yeah, we're supposed to control. We're supposed to to be proactive about the future. So let's start using the tools. Let's start finding ways to do it. Uh, you know, Peter Drucker once said, "You know, you got to understand the future that's already happened. You can't see that future though, standing off the back of the boat. Though you've got to flip around and start looking forward. We've got to start using our tools to analyze what is going to happen. You know, this this whole risk mitigation is really about seeing what potentially could happen." And using tools to analyze, well, if it did happen, what would we do about it? How could we mitigate the risk? And what are the other possible alternatives? And it's not just risk, it's also opportunity. You know, in finance, sometimes we get so focused on the downside risk and, and, and mitigating loss that we don't also realize there's an equal opportunity to advance the business, to, to, to find gain, to find new value, new customers, and more profitable customers. So this whole reverse in planning to go forward-looking is really about about this a need to, to, to push into the future and start understanding the future that's already happened that's coming at us in time to still take action on it, um, you know, in terms of some of the, 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 the concerns. Yes, the sea level has some resistance because, they, you know, they're, they've you know, grown up with a system. So we've got to show them why what we're advocating is a better way to plan and control and more proactive way to use the tools and technology and that it will mitigate these risks that, that are coming at us. Uh, down at the lower level, from a frequency point of view, we've got to understand what's different about planning proactively rather than planning reactively. Reactively, we go to the chart of account levels and we mush all this detail around and we think by producing more and more detail, we can get more and more accuracy and what we only get in, is really more and more places to be wrong. If you push forward, you've got to simplify the planning and look at more of a driver-based approach. Look at the, the key things, the big rocks, if you will, that drive the business. And if you spend most of your time looking at the big rocks, the little rocks follow. I mean, if you focus on the big things that really drive your business and get everybody to, to come to a consensus about what the important things are, it's a lot easier to keep everybody focused on that, to plan that, and let the rest of the plans flow through it. I was having dinner last night with some friends from a, one of the big benchmarking firms, and we were talking about that. And, and really, the planning can be quite simple. You know, focus on the 10 to 15 accounts that give you 80% of your revenues. Focus on the big things that really pull the things forward, the big accounts that really drive the business, and you can use a summary for the, for the rest of them. So, again, it's about really becoming proactive and, and looking forward, uh, looking at logic diagrams, not just a single driver, but what's the logic diagram? When you look at, at your revenues coming at you, begin to look at the health of the sales pipeline. You know, how many customers have we reached out there? Which ones do we have in ongoing relationships, and what is their likely spend? Where are we in those conversations? The sales calls, who are we talking to? What's the status of those calls? How long does it take to move from initial contact through relationship building through where you're working on the order? So begin to look at the health of the sales pipeline as, as it comes at you. There's information about the future. We just, in finance, we don't have time to look at it because we're too busy analyzing 
you know, a budget against, you know, the budget that we did in the middle of last summer and seeing what's wrong with it versus what's actually happening. We've got to stop doing that stuff to free up the time to look forward. Thank you, Steve. I want to take a little bit of a different turn, actually picking up on something Steve just talked about. It's in some of the talking points I received from Paul Davis. And, Paul, I'm going to read a couple, and why don't you start us on this this new thread, if you will. You say predictive forecasting takes the concept of driver-based planning and multiplies it by the exponential of big data. And then you contrast it. You say traditional driver-based forecasting has a flavor of lazy parenting to it. I love that term, lazy parenting. Hopefully none of us are. Uh, so, Paul Davis, take us in that, that new direction. What do you want to talk about with this, with the driver-based planning and the new way of doing it? Talk to me. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I've worked at a, a client where they were implementing a forecasting solution, and they brought in a management consulting firm to do that whole financial transformation um, piece uh, work with their, within their organization. Uh, and, and they really sat down with the organization, uh, three-party conversations around what are the key driver-based capabilities that they needed to do to deliver their forecasting. Uh, it was great. We built a design. They identified their 15 to 20 key drivers that were going to be critical to the organization. And it was a consumer packaged good organization, very much commodity-based. Uh, they're producing plastics, plates, uh, to-go cartons, cups, those type of things. And, and so as we got into the detail of how that pro- forecasting solution was going to be worked out, beyond the, the very high-level strategic discussion about what those key drivers were, um, the detailed folks at the business line came back with, you know what, that, that driver is great, but when it gets down to my operational detail and a very fine grain of a skew level and some of the costs that go into it, uh, small differences have a big impact to the bottom line of our organization because small cost change to the price of a commodity or uh, capacity of volume to produce can have a big impact in my ability to produce a, a revenue number. And so, to me, predictive forecasting takes Steve's concepts that he's been describing around driver-based planning. And, and what I mean by multiplying it by the exp- exponential of big data is that you take that driver-based planning capability, but you take that volume of data, the data scientists the science that's applied through the predictive modeling tool sets, the high-level algorithms, um, to define really what are our key drivers. Because let's be honest, a lot of what the driver-based definitions are in most organizations are, are tribal knowledge. This is what we expect. This is what history shows us um, the key driver of our organization is. And in some ways, that's, as Pras mentioned, it's looking backwards, right? We're taught to look backwards. And so we're defining our key drivers based on a backwards look at our data and often a summarization of that data. And so that's my point about lazy parenting. The key driver is X because I say it is. Well, mm-hmm. why? What, what, what information did you have that, that pulls the details out that proves your point? Uh, and what the predictive forecasting tools and processes are bringing in is volumes of data that allow you to do correlations and trends and identification of what your key relationships between profitable businesses, between uh, two expensive uh, costs and operations are. And, and so in my mind, rather than lazily saying or assuming the tribal knowledge of what is a key driver in our business, predictive analytics allows you to bring details in and really define what those are scientifically. Wow, great information. Pras Chatterjee, we got to get you in on this. Thoughts on what Paul just shared with us? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with everything Paul said, um, to the point where there's actually um, a quote by Michael Lewis, um, who's an author in our time, and you know, and just to paraphrase him, he talks about the fact that 
Uh, people in this day and age, they operate with beliefs and biases, and uh, to the extent you can eliminate both and really replace them with data, you gain a clear advantage. And you know, I agree with everything Paul said in the sense that we've got to get rid of our tribal biases and really and beliefs and such, and really start in, embracing data to support our points, not just from the past but into the future in terms of why things are happening, when, and you know how we should you know navigate through them and such. Steve Player, thoughts. Well, I love, I love Paul's quote about lazy parenting because, uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I see a lot of managements that follow that same kind of approach. When you think about lazy parenting, lazy parenting is when you just kind of go with the flow. Okay, everybody's kind of got their kids in these clubs and in scouts and so forth, so I'm going to put my kids in that and, and hope everything turns out right. And the reality is uh, more active parenting. The only reason those organizations and clubs and those things work is because parents are involved and they're understanding how those programs are accessing leadership skills and training and and how the kids are getting engaged in that. And I've seen from my own personal experience with three kids is the more you're engaged and you see what's happening in the underlying, you know, cause and effect relationships, and you're making sure your kids are plugging into those cause and effect relationships, you're making sure they're going to get the most out of it. Likewise, on our data, what we have today with big data is just a flood of more powerful, more readily accessible, more low-cost ways to look at different things. But just looking at things is like looking at a sea of humanity. Unless you can begin to pull out the correlations, unless you can get in and test and experiment and understand the the deep relationships and connect those to your business, it's just a sea of data. And so you've really got to actively work that information and look to say, okay, if if I see more about my customers, what are the correlations, what are the things, what are the behaviors that they're evidencing that can correlate to sales and predict things? And so you've got a lot more things to try. The good news today is the cost of those big data experiments are far cheaper than they ever used to be. But it does still take active work. You've got to, you can't be lazy about it. You've got to roll up your sleeves and, and, get, and dig into it to begin to put that together to really figure out for your business and what's happening, uh, the way things are going to go and, and what the net results are going to be. Thank you, Steve. Paul Davis, any thoughts before we turn to a new topic I'm going to have Praz talk about? Uh, Paul, anything? We want to wrap up on that thread? You know what? I'm, I'm going to give Praz a chance. I, I think I've dominated here for a little bit. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We have plenty of time, and I'm, I'm keeping, the, keeping the ball in the air here. Everybody gets a chance. Thank you, though. Praz, let's talk about where we, we're all headed with this. You say develop a finance team that can be leaders within an organization and you define leader as taking the role of a steward and a captain being a true business partner instead of just a group that states the obvious and interprets what everyone already knows so let's talk about that leadership aspect pros who are the people who will bring that leadership mantra that leadership passion and soul and open their eyes to these new tools and techniques about what we've all been talking about so far who are they are they in the organization do they need to be recruited do they need to be ojt on the job training we used to call it Praz, talk to us about building that kind of leadership go ahead well you know what uh, bonnie it starts with our cfo the cfo is the one mm-hmm. that has to, um, you know be the leader in the organization and really uh, provide the tools and the ammunition to all his you know subordinates within the organization the different controllers the financial analysts the business analysts the people that support the finance function and a lot of this starts with what Steve you know, said earlier. I mean, it's really silly what we teach in school today. We still teach the same old stuff that leads to the same old budgeting and forecasting. We teach people to interpret results from yesterday. You know what? People can do that themselves now. I mean, if, I, if finance is going to continue to just interpret, you know, close their books after day four, take day five and six to, predict, you know, uh, to come up with monthly reports that state 
what happened last month, last quarter versus a budget that was done eight months ago, and now we're, or sorry, a year ago, and now we're in November mm-hmm. time frame, and we're we're still continuing to update numbers against uh, what happened, what we interpreted as a events last year, then in future forecast updates and such. Instead of really navigating into the future, we're in a lot of trouble as a foreign finance organization. So in order to develop this team, I think. Uh, there's a lot of collaboration that needs to happen. The education process needs to change, as well as finance needs to take a leadership role internally. Uh, in most organizations, the goal of a finance team is to be a true active business partner. Supportive, mm-hmm. you know, there, gone is a day in most organizations where there's one singular finance department. There's finance departments at various divisional levels in various um, industrial units, such as the marketing finance group or lines of businesses such or cost centers, such as marketing finance, IT finance, operations finance. And each of these groups really need to start thinking forwards in in terms of versus thinking backwards in in terms of getting their, you know, people um, up to speed and ahead and really gaining the confidence of the business to come to finance. Otherwise, if we're just going to continue as finance to interpret yesterday's numbers, we're making ourselves irrelevant. Pras, uh, thank you for that. You have another statement in your talking points here I want to bring into this and ask you a question. You say, plan in a manner where there is no compromise. So I'm going to flip that in how I, I led into your conversation thread and ask you, do you need to recruit for finance in a manner where there is no compromise in terms of you want the people with their eye on the future, who understand predictive, who are not afraid of innovative tools, who are willing to say we're not going to do, as Paul Davis so aptly said, the lazy parenting just because I said so. Go, and on and on and on. So is planning in a manner where there's no compromise, does that reflect how you need to build your organization? Give me a little more, and then we'll have Steve and Paul chime in. Go ahead, Press. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we need to stop looking at the traditional financial analysts in terms of what they've you know, done in terms of traditional accounting and whether they've had the industry experience. I, need to, I think we need to start looking at people who have a round, much more uh, rounder skill set, people that understand the accounting but also general business concepts, people that have embraced maybe more statistics and we uh, can really use those, uh, those skills uh, to take people into the future. Um, you know, an example I like to give is last year I gave a seminar and I was talking about predictive an- analytics to a group of finance folks, and I started talking about you know predictive analytics techno- um, you know concepts such as single, double, and triple ex- exponential smoothing of data. And as I looked out to my finance audience, I realized that uh, it was just a bunch of blank faces staring at me, and you know, I started asking them about hey, uh, are you guys even familiar with these concepts? And it was things they might have studied in statistics 10 years ago, 15 years ago, back in school. Um, and as I started explaining the concepts a little more, they started to understand it a little more. And, you know, I realized that at the end of the day, these concepts aren't foreign to them. It's in their back, you know, it's in the back of their mind. We just need to help them extract it. So do we need to plan at a higher with no compromise or really look at, you know, look at this field of financial analysts with no compromise? Possibly, but I really do believe that our current generation of finance people have the innate ability to move forward. It's just that we need to bring this out from within them. Thank you very much. Steve Player, I know you have something to say about this. Thoughts on building a future-looking innovation, embracing, if I can say that, team in finance so you can have the right people to do it the right way. Thoughts? Well, I... uh, I, I agree with Chaz. It's great to start at the top, but I also don't want to let anybody off the hook. So mm-hmm. the vast truth and reality is you don't always get the luxury of starting at the top. If the CFO doesn't have time to meet with you or talk, you've got to start wherever you can get a handhold. So I challenge all finance organizations to find a place to start. So if you can't get to the top, figure out how to start at your level. But to me, starting stops. Starting starts with, with a little bit different approach. The problem with finance today is not that they're not thinking about that. They don't have time to think about 
about that. Mm-hmm. And the reason they don't have time to think about that is they're doing so much dumb stuff that consumes all their waking time that they, you can't put, add new stuff, new analysis, new things, until you stop doing dumb stuff. So the whole, the whole movement beyond budgeting is really to eliminate the budgeting process because it's dumb stuff. You want to do a better way of planning control, but start by stopping, not to let anybody go. We're not trying to reduce headcount and finance. We've shrunk finance too far already. What we're trying to do is free up people's time so they can go back and do the statistical analysis, so they can do the things Proz is talking about. But you've got to stop by saying these are things that we do that don't add value, don't add value for finance, don't add value for operations. So we need to stop them to free up the time so we can begin to look more proactively at the drivers, begin to look more proactively at the things, the statistical analysis, the opportunities, and those kind of things. So you really this, this whole movement starts with, with finding people that, to join you in stopping doing dumb stuff. and. My quote about finding people on the boat, in many cases, that's what you've got to do. You've got to find a supervisor up above you, hold the umbrella, and, and create some space for you to operate in. And then you've got to try some experiments of, of hey, maybe we don't need to reconcile the books uh, every month. Maybe we can do it once a quarter. Uh, maybe we can go to more real-time analysis instead of waiting for statements to come in. Maybe we can eliminate some of the spikiness of our workload by, by how we rearrange things. And looking for things that just don't add value to free those up, free up the time to do the things that really add a lot more value. So uh, to me, this is a movement of how we turn finance Mm -hmm. into creating future-ready organizations, and it starts at the ground level because it has to start there. It'll get to the top. It'll get to the top fairly quickly, uh, but we've got to start kind of wherever you can get started. So I challenge anybody listening to the the broadcast to to try to find a place you can get a handhold so you can start this today. Steve, it sounds to me like uh, finance needs to go on a retreat somewhere and sit down and sing kumbaya around the circle and hold hands and say, okay, kids, this is how it's going to be when we go back to work 24 or 48 hours later. We're going to get rid of the dumb stuff. Uh, Paul Davis, thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely, Bonnie. Well, when you're in a boat, you're going to work with the people who are in the boat because there's no one else getting in at that point, right, if you're out in the middle of the water. Unless you're going to shore, you're working with the folks that you have. And in my yep. experience going around with, with uh, a lot of clients and, and talking about these processes, um, there is a lot of dumb stuff out there, and the biggest dumb stuff that people do is about data gathering. And it's not dumb because, because, because they don't, they're not applying wisdom to it. It's dumb because it's, it's a process that can be done mechanically. Uh, and when I go around and talk to folks about building forecast solutions and talk about taking finance folks out of the role of data gatherers and data miners uh, and data cleaners um, mm-hmm. and transforming them to analysts and statisticians, their eyes light up. They get excited. So uh, I'm not sure that, that we need to go out and find a new breed of finance folks. We need to, mm-hmm. to free them from the, the requirements of the dump stuff and sell them on the vision of this is what it could be uh, because I think they're primed for it. I think they're excited for it. Um, and, and, you know, we got who we got, uh, and, and, and they're ready to go for it. Thank you, Paul. I'm, w- I'm wondering where the millennials fit into this, that dirty M word. Every, even the millennials are tired of being called millennials. I've, we've interviewed quite a few on, on some of our Game Changers radio shows. Uh, where do they fit into this? Are they the ones who want to come in and they're excited and jumping up and down and saying, yeah, we love technology. Yeah, we want to be part of this team. Yeah, we can share your vision. Is it a good thing to bring some of them in right out of training if you can find those who have not been taught dumb stuff? a.k.a. what Steve Player talks about, uh, and, and bring them in and basically hit the ground running. Paul, thoughts on that? 
Yeah, absolutely, buddy. I, I think the millennials, they're technologically based, right? They, they grew up mm-hmm. with technology. My, my kids, even at the age of two, operate an iPad, right? And so they're used to yep. working in a technological space. Uh, the direction of these tools and these processes are going are moving toward, towards uh, web-enabled or mobile-enabled uh, forecasting tools. Um, so as they're primed for the technology and, and the idea of, of rote work, of, of gathering numbers and, and doing a reconciliation, it doesn't appear. So I think the excitement of something new, something forward-looking, um, mm-hmm. is, is going to be right within their sweet spot. Wonderful. Pras Chatterjee, talk to me. Thoughts on what we've been discussing in terms of who should be on the team or they just need more time to do it differently and better. Go ahead. Well, they definitely do need to do it differently and better, and I think it all comes down with the process. I mean, um, Steve mentioned dumb stuff a couple of times, and we can probably have another show just on all the dumb stuff uh, myself, <laughs> Steve, and Paul have seen through the course of finance and all the things that need to change. But it really comes down to the process. I mean, yes, books are closed on you know the thir- last day of the month, and then they spend four days closing it and doing journal entries. Then they spend three days or so comparing it to budgets and actuals, and then they spend another two days doing reports. Uh, Within that time, you've lost five, ten days in terms of what results are. I mean, the fact is that every day, every organization generates tons and tons of operational and financial data, you know, through everything that relates to big data. But nobody's sitting there interpreting it. Instead, they follow this archaic process, and they're losing ground to companies that are taking advantage of really following, you know, really getting battleground KPIs on a real-time basis versus on a scheduled monthly basis. So I think that's where organizations and people need to go. Now, in terms of millennials, I think these are great people because these are people that are not going to wait around. And, you know, when they come out of school, they're used to getting things now uh, versus waiting two, three minutes for that matter. So, I mean, these people, when they come into mm-hmm. a finance organization, I hope they're enabled, you know, we take advantage of their creativity and mindset to move forward and really uh, change things. Thank you, Price. Steve Player, I'm going to let you wrap us up before we go to break, and we're going to come back, of course, with the crystal ball predictions, predicting about predictive. That's a good one. Uh, I think it's a tautology today. Steve Player, thoughts on bringing millennials into the team? Good, bad, or well, the, To me, the millennials are less patient. I mean, they don't have a lot of time to waste. I mean, they're, they're less politically correct. And so they're mm-hmm. you know they're bored quickly. They come in a you know they come in a uh, gaming world. They're looking to do things quickly. So they're they're prime for for you know stopping dumb stuff and trying to move forward. They just have to be enabled and led correctly. Um, and and you know you got to get them engaged in terms of what's going on there. But if you start by saying hey let's 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 start doing this real time. Why would you wait to month in to monitor whether or not you're on track or not? I mean think about sailing a ship. We don't wait to month in to see if the ship's on on the right track to get where it's trying to go we look at it every day we have the tools today in finance to monitor revenues to monitor expenses we can monitor everything on a real-time basis including headcount everything we do in finance doesn't even need a month in close okay so you think about month in closings is one of the dumb stuff we ought to think about either dramatically reducing to at least doing it just quarterly and, and maybe get rid of it at all because we can do everything today real time we just have to use the technology we've got and the millennials will do it for us if we don't get it done ourselves so we might as well get on with it <laughs> thank you steve player guess what i'm going to give the three of you a break what an interesting and passionate roundtable we've had we're going to go to break and when we come back i'm going to ask steve player at beyond budgeting paul davis at ntt data america and pros chatterjee at sap to look ahead to the future let's see if we can focus on the year 2020 as baba wawa would say uh the year of hindsight i like to call it but if you don't like that year you can pick another one and i'm going to ask you to talk about predictive planning fiction or 
reality. What do you see in the crystal ball? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We'll be right back after the break. You don't want to miss the predictions. Spread out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now. According to IDC, by 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase, an SAP company, offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments? Questions? Send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Here we are, and it's time for the crystal ball round. We're going to look at predicting predictive planning, fiction or reality. Steve Player, would you like to go to the year 2020? Do you have something interesting in mind besides that? Well, Bobby, fundamentally, we don't believe in predictions because it's almost impossible to do, but let me give you some things that are already happening today that pro- project what we should see in 2020. Uh, which essentially is only five years out. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing, you know, one year out, we often overestimate what we can do, and five years out, we often underestimate what we can do. In five years, you can get a lot done if you stay real focused on it. In terms of the year 2020, what I see happening is progressive companies will have have tapped the big data. They will have reached out and grabbed that to begin to predict where customers are going, predict where their markets are going, understand the demographics, the deep roots of where customers lay and how their offerings are being received by those customers. And you'll almost get kind of instant testing, instant projection, much more sophisticated uses of business where new concepts will be brought in, tested, and then once they're perfected, they'll be just dropped in very, very rapidly because then it's just a build-out process in terms of what's out there. You'll see finance get very, very analytic, and you'll see a bifurcation. You're going to see the great companies that take advantage begin to and the laggards drag behind. And the laggards will get caught up and they'll, they'll wonder what happened uh, because the, the really good companies will move forward. The people in finance that stop doing dumb stuff, that free themselves up and allow themselves to, to, to really dig into these new technologies, to take full advantage of them, will begin to, to reap the benefits of that and their shareholders as well. And so you're going to see essentially the strong getting stronger and the weak beginning to fall behind. It will take a while, and then people will wake up in one day and say, wait a minute, everybody's using this big data, and now it's too late. We are at the turn of the century. The time to really move forward is right now, because if you go much longer, you're going to have already missed it. I mean, this is, a, this is our once-in-a-lifetime golden opportunity if we in finance will just wake up and take advantage of it now. 
Thank you very much, Steve Player. Let's turn to Paul Davis. Paul, thoughts? How far ahead can you predict? Predictive. Well, well, I think over the next two or three years, I think we'll see the major vendors start to pull the software products together so that the big data components with the predictive uh, algorithms, uh, the data visualization and analytics tool, as well as those performance management solutions such as forecasting or, or closing the books, they're all going to come together into a single very powerful data set where that information is going to be shared across all of those functionalities, uh, which will give you one view of the data, all the detail you do to do to stop doing the dumb stuff and start doing the deep analysis. Uh, so once those tool sets are starting to pull together, uh, that's when the process starts to change. And what I think we'll see is three different waves of predictive uh, come into play within organizations. And the first one is like Steve mentioned, people are going to focus on what are our best products? What are our best customers? What market should we be in? So it's to maximize that top line. Because really, right now, the focus is on the top line. So how you can use predictive mm-hmm. for that. Uh, the second way that I think people will start to utilize predictive for is around uh, improving their operational metrics. So finding those areas where uh, costs are going to be out of line and how we can really maximize uh, our, our, ex- our expense and our spend uh, so that we're improving the bottom line, not just the top line. And then ultimately what I think the third wave will be is the integration of the two processes of the top line and the bottom line and really where the procurement and contract organizations can use that information about top line and, and, and spend to come up with a um, forward-looking contracting and procurement process where those can be mixed for optimal efficiencies, um, kind of a win-win scenario for both customer and seller. And I, I think we'll see how we do business together is going to be changed. And it's going to be done at the speed of uh, business, where contracts are going to be much more dynamic uh, based on the ability to analyze that data. Finally, the last thing I think we'll see in 2020 is the proliferation of the forecasting process beyond the finance organization to start to incorporate more sales and marketing to do forecasting of revenue, of operational folks to do forecasting of cost. Uh, There's a study out recently around the mining industry and how they've uh, pulled in operational details and predictive forecasting tools. Uh, and there's a company called BH Billiton who's uh, claimed they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in doing operational metrics around maintenance plans when they're going to have to uh, fix their machines and the procurement of the parts to fix them because machine downtime means less production and less revenue. And so by using predictive tools to understand those maintenance routines, uh, they're able to keep their machines running. And that type of operational forecasting is going to be embedded within the future financial plan as well. Thank you very much, Paul Davis and Pras Chatterjee. It's time for you. I can give you two minutes on the dot. Give me your predictions. Go. Fantastic. Thanks, Bonnie. So mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, I think a lot of the technology and tools are already there, although it will continue to evolve. Right now it's just a matter of adoption and changing of processes. And I do believe by 2015 uh, the best-in-class companies you know, will have great results, will really showcase why they're best in class in terms of adopting predictive technologies, changing some of the processes we've talked about as such, so, so that, uh, you know, companies that lag behind can really look at these companies in terms of being best in class and change their processes, um, almost looking at them as a guiding light. Uh, but in terms of what organizations really need to do, it's a matter of um, incorporating uh, things such as uh, real-time reporting. I think that's something that will happen in 2020, um, you know, whereby, you know, instead of, as Steve mentioned, we've talked about companies reporting on the 30th day of each month, or the 31st day, and waiting four or five days, they'll be in a position, uh, which they are actually right now, but really changing their processes so they can report on battleground KPIs today, 
um, so that finance can be a leader on an everyday basis versus uh, just a once a month or once every month and a half or on a quarterly basis when they have these profit days and they talk about things that have already happened way back when and really provides no insight into the future. So I think those kind of things will change. Um, another thing that I think will happen um, is that you know, um, companies uh, you know, with uh, large finance departments will stop planning in silos. I think we talked briefly about the fact, I think Paul may have mentioned that you know, there's finance departments everywhere. And that, uh, but what happens with a lot of finance departments being all through the organization is that they plan in silos. I think the technology in the future will allow plan, uh, finance to really plan in an integrated mm-hmm. financial planning manner whereby as marketing updates are planned uh, for sales or operations, in a real-time manner, it's all updated across the board, and everybody has an insight into where their organization is going and why. And I think that's something we'll see for 2020 uh, by best-in-class organizations, and others will soon come to follow. Thank you very much, Pras. Thank you all. What an interesting show. I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say we're not used to hearing such energy and passion when you put that together with the word finance. It's just it's a new experience, and the three of you have certainly brought this topic to life, and I appreciate that, and I know our listeners do too. I'll do my shout-outs now. Thank you, Steve Player, Beyond Budgeting. Always wonderful to have you on the show, and Paul Davis at NTT Data America. I hope you'll come back and join us, Paul. Great insights, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP also. Wonderful contributor. Hope you'll come back. I have a special shout-out to Henner Schliebs at SAP. Henner has tweeted over 35 times, and he's capturing all kinds of words of wisdom from each of you. So go to hashtag SAP Radio and see what he said about you. I think he just topped 40 tweets. Yes, I think he just topped 40. Uh, I want to thank you also to series sponsors, Chris Grundy, Aaron Hughes, Birgit Starmans, and Henner Schliebs is also on the team. Thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team. Coming up tomorrow, I'll be hosting Coffee Break with Game Changers. That's Wednesday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 Eastern. And the topic tomorrow is Growing Your SME Business, Smart Tips for Smart Entrepreneurs, Part 2. And we'll see you back here next Tuesday on Financial Excellence with Game Changers. A little heads up. Coming in the fall, we have got a huge schedule. We have HR Trends with Game Changers returning for Season 3, Future of Business with Game Changers returning for Season 2. We're adding three new series, Big Data with Game Changers, The Customer Edge with Game Changers, Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, and I just made a boo-boo. Big Data with Game Changers is going to be called Internet of Things with Game Changers. We'll be on four days a week, five live shows a week, seven series. Do the math. It's way above my pay grade. Thank you, everyone, for a great show. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. Game-changing week.